I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. Hello and welcome to Fever FM. Tonight I am joined by Dale Helena. Helena. God, I haven't said your name in so long, Helena. I almost forgot how to say it. Uh, and Dave, uh, welcome back, Helena. It's good to see your, your lovely beaming face again. And you two gents, only one of you is smiling, but it's good to see you as well, Dale. Oh, thanks. I was smirking more than anything. You've got a nice little J.J. Abrams um, flair right, going right over you. It's, it's brilliant. It's either that or someone's found your pot of gold. I would have said a halo, but sure. Oh, come on. I think that you've skipped over the leprechaun joke in there. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the um, men's game versus Perth. Uh, we've got some Patreon questions as well. Preview of the Adelaide game for the men's team and the victory game for the women's team. And no doubt, some absolute rubbish shit talk as well because i'm full of it at the moment uh let's get on to the men's game uh obviously the midnight game in perth uh, i think they were over there from for the whole week straight from straight from the other side of the uh massive continent that is australia the team was uh paulson kelly hill hughes wooten sermon Payne, old Conchi, Alte, Ball, and Rufa. I think the only surprise there probably was Finn Conchi up the front, wouldn't it be? Yeah, I think um, Taliana was asked about it post game, and he, he he said he said he he thought that Oscar Van Haddam and Payne were a bit too too similar, and that he wanted someone to to play a bit more centrally and and drag some of their fullbacks or defending players inwards to create more more overload for for Payne. I don't, in some ways. Sure, and in some ways, is, is that a, a somewhat of a criticism of Van Haddam that he couldn't do a fairly basic job of staying central? I've got to say, I just wasn't used to anyone being that forthright. Like, here is my tactic. I'll lay it out for you. Here's my thinking. Quite disarming for opposition, I think. The fact, I mean, he's been forthright about his tactics for some time as well. This is what we do. This is the system. It's refreshing, isn't it? Like, I mean, no opposition coach would be surprised by what he says it's not like he's laying out a you know a game plan to to play against us so it's um i don't think there's any kind of harm in it um i think it's yeah provides some insight into kind of what they're thinking and yeah i think we've probably touched on you know a good chunk of what he's been saying in, in previous pods so i'd like to think that we're slightly on, on the money i did hear wayne smith talking about the way the reason why he shares a lot of his ideas um realize this is overball but he says he tells coaches about his ideas when he's coaching because it forces him to come up with new ideas and I, I wonder if this is a bit of Taliano's thing it's like you've always got to be iterating but yeah I wouldn't like him to keep doing it if he's going to keep using the same ideas I mean but to be fair like the idea is control and like telling people I mean everyone who's played the Phoenix knows that that the idea is you control what the opposition does against you, like knowing that can't actually get around it. So I think it's it's one of those things where it's like it's just nice from probably a media perspective. But I mean, also I don't think anyone was going, oh god, Finn Conchi up top. Like, how are we going to counter this? Like, it was quite clearly quite a makeshift. <laughs> no disrespect, Finn Conchi. Yeah, 
No, but he's not. You know, I don't think he would say that he's an out and out nine. Sorry, Dave. I think as well, if you're if you're confident enough in your tactics, you know, it, why wouldn't you be comfortable sharing it? I think you know, if you if you've got something that's solid, that's consistent like that, and you think it's going to work, you also think it's going to work for ninety minutes. If it's something you know out of the box, whatever you know that the opposition coach is going to see it after the first 10, 15, right? And be able to adjust and maybe do something to counter it. But if it, if it's a tactic that you're not expecting to go out there and catch them by surprise with or something, why wouldn't you be comfortable sharing it? Um, I think, you know, if you're, if you're confident enough what you're doing, it's not particularly a problem. It's only where you are trying to catch by surprise or, you know, you're doing something out of the box that you, that you then expect to stop working and you're going to adjust your game anyway, right? If it's, if it's something that different, you're not going to try it consistently. Otherwise, it doesn't have the same effect. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's that surprising. I just I think it's the kind of person he is. He's he likes talking football. He loves loves the game. He loves the tactics, and he wants to talk about it. I don't think there's any um great surprise for that. Well, we did actually see Finn Conch involved in the in the first change at 54 minutes. Very um, I, I guess a tactical shift as well with that. Um, was this just? Getting more minutes into, well, not just getting more minutes into the legs of Salas, but uh, getting his involvement a bit earlier because he is very energetic. Is that the way you'd describe him, H? Yeah, I mean, I think he's been pretty dynamic. It's, well, I mean, it's quite exciting, but obviously, it's pretty hard to kind of come off a plane into a new team and just immediately play consistent minutes. So, I, I suppose probably there's a plan to build him up. But it's hard. I mean, it is hard to say because it's an inter- like the front, the front three, front four, whatever it is, and an Italiano team is such an interesting section of the field because he's such a stability-based coach, and how he makes subs, how he builds players up to appropriate minutes within that system of kind of keeping things quite controlled and quite stable always intrigues me. For example, you think about how he's used Ben Old, while Ben Old's kind of been battling injuries. Um, he hasn't been afraid to actually kind of build people up quicker than a lot of coaches would, I think, and ask players to do a bit more. It's, it's That's an interesting aspect of his coaching, I think, where he wants things to have a bit of time to bet in. Yeah, and I think, it, you know, even even taking it back to a base level with, um, with Salas, you see the way he plays, and I can see why they're not immediately thinking, great, he's a 90-minute player. I think you can see why they're going, you know what, maybe we'll start you with some impact off the bench and build you up because even though he obviously looks like he has some serious fitness, he plays with frenetic pace. Yeah. And I think in the sort of system we're talking here, asking that guy to step into 90 minutes of that isn't just going to put him at a disadvantage. All the players around him, just by the nature of the way he plays, are going to have to adjust to that. It's um, it's a pace that isn't usually what we're playing in there. And so I think building up to it, even if he was getting off the plane, having played 90 minutes every week, full match fitness, full actual fitness, I think you still would be easing him in just because the type of player he is and the type of system we play don't immediately gel with each other. That is very true. Um, We're kind of glossing over the, um, I guess, the back six or seven players. Um, So uh, Isaac Hughes, again, slotting into that, and I'm going to call it a back five. I, I guess the way he's been playing, no surprise there. The fact that he played well again and the, the fact that that whole almost back six or seven played well again and the fact that we're not even mentioning it almost speaks to the, the consistency, I, I reckon. I mean, 
we have, I think, Dale, you're the first person to say, you know, these guys are young, they're going to make mistakes. And we all rapidly agreed with you. And yet we're still talking about the mistakes yet to come. They haven't come. Will they come? Paulson has had a couple, admittedly not for quite a while, I think. He had a couple, maybe in the first six games or so, but has been pretty pretty solid since. I think Lucas Kelly-Heald, I think, has really grown into his, his role. I think he's he's learnt how to use his body a lot more um, and, his, and his size and his, his dangly legs. I think he's, at, at times, I think when he first came to the side, he looked like you know, a bit of Bambi on ice, but I think now he's he's really re- learnt how to maybe just have a bit more confidence to kind of read the play and, and put in a, a cheeky toe when he needs to and hasn't really been beaten as much, I think, around the outside as he previously had and and like I said I think like I mean in this game we basically made one mistake at the back and that was Wooten playing out from the, from the back uh, into midfield and and gave Taggart a chance to to score in that first half which is probably the best chance of the half um, but Hughes was was there to cover him so you're right there hasn't there hasn't been a lot of uh, a lot of they haven't really given a lot of change to anyone um, you know two-thirds of, of the way into the season and I mean look 19 goals against and, and 19 games is you know that's goes out saying league leading kind of stuff you know and and title winning stuff if, if they can you know continue to do that you know it's hard to see us dropping too far down the table oh dale title winning big talk yeah i know this is this is bold call um we should talk about the um i guess i don't want to say the lack of firepower but certainly the lack of experience up the top with missing costa barbarousis um, who's kind of been Mr. Consistent Minutes along with David Ball up there. Uh, a calf injury, I believe. Uh, do we know how long that's that he's out for? I think Chief said oh, the pregame that it was more precautionary than anything and that um, he was, I mean, at that stage, he was going to be possibly back for the Adelaide game. So it'd be nice to get him back because I think we did did miss him in that, um, in that game against Perth. Yeah. Having kind of almost a one man counter with old doing it is is was a bit tough, I think. Um, but we did see uh, Oscar Zavada and Bodajar Krayev starting to get more minutes. I think subbed on not long after Salas came on. Krayev didn't look too far off the pace, but what did you think about Zawada? We should have scored uh, for starters. I mean, at the last at last. Well. Maybe, but it was still a very good save. It was a good reaction. I, I think it was quite noticeable, I think, how the momentum of the game shifted in that last 30 minutes when we made those three subs. And that's not you know, to disrespect who came off, but the three that came on, I think, are you know, Salas for country. Yeah, that's obviously a massive upgrade um, to lay um, yeah, um, Altea. Alte came off um, and ball, and I guess you know crying and, and gave us another another opportunity to you know to break and, and you know um, take up some space. Um, and obviously Zawada is, is a big presence up top. So yeah, I think it's it's no surprise that we finished the strongest based on on who came off the bench. Was there anything that struck you about this, Dave, especially up top? I mean. I... I mean, I think it's hard, right? I think the way the game played out eventually, 
speaks more to the players we are missing than anything else. I think we put in a pretty solid defensive performance. It looked good, but we struggled for good chances and we struggled to finish the chances we did have. And I think you can put a lot of that down to the personnel that we're missing. And as, as Dale says, the the momentum changed a lot when some of those players came back on the field. But, I mean, we've talked before about, you know, the the different way we seem to play with Zawada there versus Costa and, you know, the other players around him. And all, all that stuff holds true, you know. He can score a goal for sure, but he's different to the style of play when we've looked the best this season. So it, it's a tough one because we've got good players there. And I think, I think Salas is the same. I think he... He offers a lot. He looks good on the field. He can he can be a game changer, but how does he fit into the system is not a hundred percent clear yet. And I think um, you know, Chief is a smart guy. He's gonna he's gonna find it. But I do I do think this one spoke more to who was missing than anything. You know, we we played a good, solid game. I think you can say we dominated this game, but at the same time, it didn't look like it was gonna three be three points in the bag, you know? We we didn't look under much pressure, but we also didn't look like we were going to do a hell of a lot with it, which, to be honest, away to Perth is a result you'd take normally. Um, And under the circumstances with the players out, players injured, all that stuff, I think you still do. But if we had a full-strength squad, I think we we put them to the sword here based on that performance. We were solid enough, and all we needed was the finish. Um, I want to put a hard question to you all because it's been weighing on me a bit. What, uh, with this in mind about who we were missing rather than who we had on the field, what does this kind of say for David Ball's long-term future? Um, yeah, I think much much has been made of you know, his lack of output in terms of assists and goals. And I think, you know, that's somewhat fair because he has played a lot of, uh, a lot of minutes. I guess... The kind of counter to that is he he's more of that link-up player now. I think in different seasons, he was much, not necessarily the target or the pivot, but certainly much more in the attacking, kind of attacking, you know, getting in the box and stuff like that. I think under this system, he's much more of a kind of, you know, he'll play the pass into the person who makes the assist. Like that's that's kind of his his role. So if you if you look on the, on basic kind of you know you know stats you think oh man he's had a bad season but I don't think by any means he has. Um, I guess for him you know I think he's got one year left I think next year he'd be another year older I think he's getting closer to I want to say thirty four ish. How that plays out, um, but you know if if we continue to play the same way I think there's still definitely a role for him and I th- I think he may even become naturalised at the end of the season perhaps as well. Um, which will also help, I guess, you know, keeping them. That won't hurt, Dave. Yeah, and I think it's interesting when we talk about ball. We all we all talk about his age, and I think I think fair enough. But I think it's interesting that even as he's getting older, he's still one of the players on the field. You'd say has the highest work rate. You know, he he is doing a lot of K's. He he you know comes back, helps defend. It's it's not like some players, particularly strikers who as they start to age out, you see them just seagulling up top, right? That's that's not the player he's becoming. He's he's arguably working harder than we've maybe seen him before. And I think that speaks to the new role they're asking of him. And I think it, you know, it does say maybe there are still some seasons in the leagues, but it's recognizing it's a different role that he's gonna play there. It's not just gonna be 
kicking the ball into the net. It's it's going to be yeah some some grind and some graft and some some wily old man tactics, you know. But he seems to be he seems to be doing pretty well at that. But the only criticism is is that output. And if Chiefy's happy with him not being the guy getting the assists or getting the getting the goals, then that seems okay to me. Because um, yeah, I think you do see that the work grade and the fitness is clearly still there. I mean, I would say that the role he's playing is one of the most integral roles to the system. So we know that the system is based on controlling what the opposition do with possession that you let them have and then breaking lines and being clinical. And David Ball's ability to be that link-up player and to sit in pockets between the lines and to make that, you know, what Americans would call the secondary assist is incredible. I mean, I think like two games ago that, he he dinks that initial crossfield ball across and that's what opens up the field it's what creates it's what creates the chance even if it's not the assist i think that you know is he scoring no is he getting direct assists not that often but if you take him out of the system i think it starts to i think it starts to be much less effective his work rate and his ability to kind of turn up in good pockets is it's it's still very high class so I mean, I mean, this is a little bit of my soapbox. So I kind of don't like. I think he's a kind of, I think he's a kind of player at the moment that confounds our ability to measure attackers. Like we're like, oh, he's not, he's not scoring, he's not racking up statistics. But it doesn't matter in this system because who is scoring a lot of goals for the Phoenix right now? Objectively, no one actually. You know, like we're not a high-scoring team. That's not the system. I think his role is partly it complements the other players like you 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 can't have all the players being the attacking aggressive running like it's just not going to work like you kind of need someone a bit more in that kind of work coursey type role that that yeah it can it can kind of link up that stuff and i feel like if you have too many players similar it it kind of doesn't create the perhaps the right the right balance so there is certainly still a role to, to play with them once everyone back if that ever happens whether that's still the, the, the he, he still has as prominent role as he has today, you know, whether Salas can, can kind of play that sort of maybe more box advanced midfielder role as well. I don't know, but um, I don't, yeah, I don't think, um, you yeah, know, writing him off as some people have is, is, is wise at this stage. Yeah. And like, let's, you know, look at it rationally. He's not, it's not like he's missing sitters every game. He's not getting, 20 chances and knocking them all wide right like he's just not playing that role in this team so I kind of don't really buy that criticism of him to be honest I just think it's a bit yeah so so to kind of summarize we don't see him even as a kind of a realm data like a um Thomas Muller more like an inverse of inverse holding midfielder he kind of holds the structure backwards for lack of a better term. Yeah, I don't know what you meant, but sure, sure. why not? It sounded like you knew what you meant, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on that train. <laughs> That's the most important thing. Makes perfect sense to a Thomas Muller fan. The space finder. Yes, well done. Good, good German. So we, we did see uh, a couple of opportunities fall our way that weren't, uh, weren't taken. Uh, the header for Wooten... Um, I think the stat that was mentioned was hasn't scored for like two and a bit years, which for someone of his height, and I was thinking that was a bit rough. The guys are centre-back, 
Um, no one scores off corners. Um, a couple of yeah. things. I think that that commentators don't love to go to was saying about how someone hasn't scored yet in their A League career, and like they chucked up like Kelly Hill, and I was like, dude, he's like played fifteen games. Give him, he's playing left back. Give him a chance. Yep. If it's centre backs, you know, corners are that, but we have. I think. I think they're not, it's not the problem with him. I think, yeah, we just don't have someone to deliver very dangerous whipped crosses. Like, we, we just don't have any. Like, we've got Kelly Heald on them at the moment. Yeah, if, if we had someone who, who could deliver on a dime, yeah, I think we'd have a much better chance because we do have some tall, tall players in our in our squad now, but we just don't have a, someone who can who can put it, you know, near post at, at head height. Yeah, he's got one woods for legs. He's certainly not going to be able to knock a precision ball in there. It would be nice if uh, Michaela Foster gave lessons, though. Yeah, it's a, it does it does kill me a little bit on the inside seeing how tall a team we have and to not make our presence felt a little more on those those attacking corners. Uh, it would be nice to knock one or two of them in just to, you know, bolster the, um, the scoring tally. We mentioned Zawada's uh, chance, uh, I think it was you, Dale, wasn't it, um, that he should have scored. Is this just a bit of ring rust and, you know, he'll he'll easily bounce this one off? I mean, I hope so. I mean, he had two couple, two chances at the end, didn't he? He had the, the header that forced a, a pretty decent save out of a sale, which I think most people would have, or most goalkeepers at the level would have saved. There's another one where he, he got a ball and he kind of spun like 180, but he just kind of just lost control at the end of it. I mean, it'd be, it'd be nice to get him back to scoring ways um, and somehow trying to match him up with Costa because, you know, Costa, all his goals have come when Zawada hasn't been playing. So, and three is same with three, three, is a, three of his four assists, which somewhat indicates that maybe they're not the most compatible players together. But I'm sure Chief is trying to work out how to get them both um, on the pitch and, and scoring and, and providing. It it is an interesting problem for Chiefy to have, isn't it? It's like you've got guys that are playing well, we just haven't had them all on the field at the same time. And it's like if they do actually come right, it's got he's got some very big decisions to to make. Um, how do you see that going, Dave? Do if we do get Zawada, Krayev, Costa, Old, all up to speed, and Salas, how does he make that decision and? Does he stick with what has been working? It's the million dollar question, right? I mean, it's it's why um, it's why Chiefy's the coach and not me because I think it's tough. I think you you take our best eleven players and you probably can't get them all on the field at the same time, right? So you do have to make some compromises somewhere to to play the system we're playing. And I think I think that any system our players are not suited for, you know, um, if you were to try and just throw the best 11 of them on the park and hope it works, it's, it, there's no, you know, there's no system that works for that. So um, I think, I think the, the tough part for him will be probably not only making those tough calls. And I think, I think he'll, he'll make those on a game by game basis. He's kind of showing that, that he's willing to tinker a little depending on opposition and what he thinks is going to work there. But I think the big challenge for him is going to be managing player expectations behind the scenes because you're going to have, some of those young guys now who probably are working towards expecting they should start every game, not ne- not necessarily quite there yet, but that will, you know, start playing in their mind. They know they're playing well and they'll be having that how come I'm dropped this week coach chat if they are, for example. And you've got some of those guys, you know, how do you, how do you keep your, 
your glamour strikers all happy when they all think they should be playing at the same time and starting every game. Um, at the moment, he's lucky. Some of them run fit, so he doesn't have to have that discussion. But if they are all fit, you are going to have some some egos to manage potentially. And I think I think he's demonstrated so far he is pretty good at those um, personal relationships in that part. But I think that's going to be the challenge for him is is yeah, not only managing the tactics and, and getting the right people on the field each game, but managing those uh, personalities behind the scene. And it's it's a tough one. That's why professional coaches I don't envy them. Well said, Dave. I, I was tr- trying to think of a way to throw to uh, Helena uh, to this one without insulting her about being a glamour forward, especially one with a fragile ego. <laughs> I'm retired now. <laughs> oh, you can always unretire. Look at the three of us. Um, so I, I do have one question for you. Um, can uh, Can you remember? A time where we have had this kind of issue before, where we do have a question of how do we fit eleven players in, as opposed to let's find eleven players. I'm throwing this at UH so you get a nice softball question after I insulted you. Well, I don't have the longest memory here by any stretch of the imagination. You probably do. We're all really old now. Memories are awful. I mean, I think no. I think it is. I think in so many respects, the Phoenix are in a position that they've just never been in the fact that to be honest they've 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 got and are going to continue to have control over their own destiny and have to make these calls with that added pressure of knowing that they are in control of what happens to them now and that they just need to keep on keeping on I think it's a lot of that's new I think you know there had definitely we've had good players we've had great attacking resource before but I think what's unusual to me is not so much like you think about attacking resource, you think about the Zavadas, the goal scorers. But to me, I think kind of the slightly more complicated problem is they have such creative resource and that's what's hard to fit together. They have Ball and Old and Kryev. These aren't, you know, they're not goal machines, but they are players who are so creative, who make the system work, make the system tick. And that's, I think, whether the, the slightly unusual pressure is on for 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 Chiefy, I think like I can't think of any season where we've had so many players that just make the system run, that just know their role, that do their role. Because every game that the Phoenix take points from, you think they've executed the system. There hasn't actually. I could we really think about it? When we've had daylight robberies, they've been daylight robberies that we have orchestrated. That is what I can't remember having happened before, and I think it's basically the situation is whoever you bench like that is you're going to lose their ability and it would have been good ability to have on the field and that's unusual I think that's a very good point you bring up um I have noticed the longer this season has gone on the more we've used phrases like comfortable and the less we've discussed about the actual goings-on of the game we've just discussed in very general terms because it's almost like it ex- it happened exactly as we expected, exactly as it was laid out to be executed. It is an interesting, um, an interesting um, commentary. It's it's also interesting that this has happened over a time in which we've had so many people in and out of the squad as well. Yeah, you know, we're we're unbeaten nine games, yeah. and probably for six of them, we had at least two, if not more, players, starting players, not available. If there was any for, like for us to really shit the bed, that would have been the case. It could have quite easily like lost one, 
crap, we lost another one because we had players out. And then you get into like, you know, downward spiral kind of stuff. The fact that we were able to like, yeah, you know, and, and not in the most prettiest terms, but grind out some some pretty important, you know, results over that period uh, with a fairly depleted side. Makes you a little bit hopeful for the last run. And if, as long as we can get everyone back and fit, for the most part, you know, gives you a bit excited for the last sort of, what's it, eight games, eight games to go. Yeah, I just think the system knowledge in this group is the highest I've seen in any Phoenix side in my memory of them. And honestly, I think is a is reaching towards the high echelons of, of system knowledge and A-League clubs in general. Like the extent to which everyone just steps into this lineup and knows what they're doing and does it is really impressive. I mean, like you look at that Liverpool result this week and that was an example of the academy just being able to come in and everyone's like, oh, this is incredible, this is remarkable. You don't have that this is incredible, this is remarkable chat about the Phoenix, but that is they're doing that at a far greater scale. They're bringing these kids in and they look like they 100% understand everything that's going on. They look like they're controlling games. They look like everything's going the way they expect it to. And that to me, just show, like whatever that coaching staff is doing is incredibly exciting because these people just understand the way they're meant to be playing and they're executing it week in, week out. And I mean, it's very hard to be hopeful as a Phoenix fan, but this is got to be the most cause for hope that I've ever had like they just they just know what they're doing and so much stuff you think oh my god this, the wheels are going to fall off now they find a way to truck through it yeah valid um I, I guess we look forward to Adelaide from here um Adelaide who have not been playing well they're going to be missing Ben Halloran after a quite innocuous red card after Alex King decided that he wasn't going to pull his red card out for someone getting kicked in the chest. If you haven't seen it, watch the replay. It's incredible. Uh, at one stage, I think, was it Mork pulls his shirt up and he's got stud marks going up and down his ribs, even possibly a little bit of blood. The guy's gotten a yellow card. Ben Halloran has gone to professionally foul and accidentally trod on the back of the guy's leg and got a red card. So he won't be coming to Wellington or he certainly won't be on the field. Adelaide looks scratchy as all hell. Um, Having said that, they are the one team this year that have really given us trouble. Yeah, we in that 2-2 draw, we quite easily could have lost that by multiple goals. Um, and I know that, you know, Times have, have changed since then, and I don't know if Ibisuki he missed last weekend. He gave us lots of trouble. Um, I'm not sure if he's if he's back. Yeah, he is a difficult customer. I mean, there's such a just a whip crosses in team. A eh? like it 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 kind of makes me wonder whether we might play a back five again, and just to give us a, another body in the middle and try block off those those wide channels a bit more. Um, so it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if, if we see Hughes, Hughes start again, just to give us a bit more protection there. I, I think that's actually a pretty good call, uh, Dale. You should uh, email Chiefy. <laughs> um, I'm sure he's all over it. Uh, one thing I, I would be encouraging is that they have a couple of shots at Dillian of he is prone to an error. Jesus wept. Um <laughs> It was not pretty. Um, so that game will be on Sunday at 5pm at the stadium. So good to see everyone uh, back there. If we can 
all get along. I think Domi's calling it now a 10,000-plus bumper crowd. He's getting a bit salty. We're not all, all of Wellington isn't showing up, but we're there, mate. It's fine. Uh, the women's game, uh, finally, they're back playing um, against victory, unfortunately. Speckmeyer and Flea possibly injured. Well, they're both injured. Whether whether they recovered, who, who knows? Yeah, Speckmeyer, you can tell it's quite marginal. Do we know how um, Macy Fraser's doing? Because she had, was carrying one a knock as well, wasn't she? Yeah, so she'll have had the blanket three weeks it's been implemented. So I think that will be done this week. Okay. But then I guess it will be a depend like that will depend like that's three weeks of no contact training. So you know she'll be able to keep some forms of fitness, but I don't know if she'll be in a position to just immediately hop back into an eleven. I would suggest not, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, it's unfortunately another away game. Um the the Wahenics are struggling to play away um, and against victory it's not going to be an easy one either I don't have high hopes but I have been pleasantly surprised a few times this season I hope to be pleasantly surprised again Um, that will be on the Sunday as well at 4pm local uh, sorry 4pm New Zealand time uh, in Melbourne the app the very Interestingly titled, Home of the Matildas Stadium. <laughs> God, that is a terrible name. Isn't it? And it's a high, like, only, like, two of the Matildas are actually Victorians, but anyway. Well, I assume, I mean, how often do the Matildas play there for a start? Home of the Matildas, Mel- Melbourne, brackets, Bandura, Australia. Okay. Why not? Um, bring on Jerry Collins, I say. Um, we do have a couple of Patreon questions um, that we, we like to throw in occasionally. Uh, we've got one here from uh, Brooke, which I thought was a good one to softball out to everyone. Uh, which of the Visa players for both the men and the women would you like to stay next year? And which one do you think will stay for another year? So, Dale, you seem to know the contract uh, states of these players. Well, you seem to know better than I do. So, uh, do you remember who's got all the women are uh, off contract? Uh, I think for the men, we have. I think we have Wooten and Ball next year. It's it's Salas, Crave, and Salada coming off contract. Okay, who wants to step up first on this one? Who would you like to stay next year? Okay, H um, from the women's team then. Which of those players would you like to see coming back? Speckmeyer's obviously been good. Otherwise, Cox, I'd like to see back. I think she's been really effective. Um, I don't know. She is such an interesting signing because, like, UNC UNC products usually have professional opportunities that aren't in New Zealand. So it would be interesting if we actually can retain her because I think she's probably already up to stocks with how she's performed. The other two, Breslin and Davidson, to be honest, haven't set my world on fire. So, I mean, I guess... Same. Yeah. What I want to say is continuity is good, but I Davidson in particular, I just feel like hasn't performed the way I think she could have. Um, and Breslin also just feels mean to say, but I've been underwhelmed by. 
Spekmire periodically does extremely underwhelming things, but periodically does awesome things. So <laughs> I think she's the most likely to re-get, and I'd be happy to get her back. But I've got a big long list of random college people that I'd like the Knicks to sign. So, you know, Temple. What about Riley Foster? Yeah, that's a tricky one, eh? Because they won't keep, I don't think they'll keep Bree Edwards. Yeah, that. Yeah, see, I, I don't know. I haven't been sold on Riley Foster. I realise she's a big presence in the team and she's really good for the team. But I think her goalkeeping's a little underwhelming. I prefer Bree Edwards as a goalkeeper. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pronounce yeah. that. So she's not a bad. She's a good keeper. But I, I'd love to see Speckmire to stay, and I think you're right about Cox. She's she's not the player I expected. With the way you were talking her up, just the the you know the the extremely talented, skilled player, but she's she feels almost like a blunt object at times, but very effective. Quite a nice step over. Um, what about the men's side? Do we have anyone there that we're just like, yes, we should we should push the boat out on this? I think I think Cryev's a no brainer if if he wants to stay. Um, yeah, I think he's pretty integral to the to the to the system. Uh, Salas would have to buy unless they were because he's still contracted to his home club, so that might make that tricky unless they're prepared to loan him out again. Zawada, like you know, he's a good goal scorer. Does he quite fit into how we want to play, or do we want to evolve how we play next season? Big question. I think the other thing in the back of my mind, he's had quite a few injuries this season, injuries, and that has been reflected. It's not just this season. Yeah, last mm-hmm. season was a anomaly in his career. So, it, yeah, I mean, it, some of this all depends on, on you know, how much you, you're paying for them and stuff. And I suspect he. he it's probably looking elsewhere. And I think that's okay. I think I, I can live with that. I think there's there's plenty of fish uh, in, the, in the sea. And um, yeah, we know that Chief is, is, you know, a pretty good recruit. So uh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt me to see Zawada leave at the end of the season. I mean, it would, but it wouldn't. Dave, you've been ominously quiet. I think for him as well, he probably goes better somewhere else too. Um, I think there's, you know, there, there are other systems that will suit him better. I think he can he can find someone willing to buy the kind of striker he is, and I think we're not we're not going to bid over the odds for that, right? I think he doesn't quite fit the system. Um, maybe in the remainder of the season, he'll show a way he really can fit into it, and that'll that'll generate a bit more interest. But I think if you've got bids coming from overseas, we're looking for kind of that target man striker that he is. They should probably outbid us. Um, and that's fair enough. So it, it'd be nice to keep him. I think he's a great player. I'd love to have him around, but I don't think he's a must-buy. I think Kryev's the no-brainer. Um, Bawley, I think we've already talked about him at length. So, you know, I think I think it's a matter of how fit he stays, whether or not he becomes naturalized. All that stuff will be the factors there and how much money he wants. But, yeah, I think I think that's it for me. Um, Salas, honestly, we haven't seen enough of him to know yet. Maybe, maybe in the remainder of the season, he's going to show he's well worth the money to spend on buying him. Maybe you won't. Um, I want to go to a question now that is from Anonymous. Of everyone, if everyone is fit against Adelaide, what's your best 11? Uh, Dale, I'm going to throw to you first because you did have some, uh, quite an interesting take about playing a back five to nullify 
um, Adelaide's crosses in. Pulls in and goal. <laughs> um, uh, Wooten and Sermon in the middle. Yeah, I'm going to give you that. Okay, I, I, I ain't on the yeah, right. I, I, I play. Five, I play. I don't think he. W- I don't think he will. But I, I feel like playing five across the back is 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 not a bad option. So, um, yeah, Kelly Hill, Hughes, um, Wooten, Sermon, and Payne. How many of that six? I got five left. I I kind of feel they will go. What else would they do? I think Rufa. if he's fit, Salas and Rufa. And then I think you go like an old, old Kraev and Costa or something. I don't know. I've lost track now. It's too hard. There's too many people. I can't do it. That was 11. That was 11. Was I don't 11. know if it made a coherent 11. It was 11 play, players I picked. Okay. Uh, Dave, where do you disagree with Dale? It's not that I disagree because I, I think that's a perfectly valid choice to make. But I think I think for me, I would probably switch um, Hughes out and put Pennington in. I'd play four across the back and have that extra man in midfield. But but I want to keep Salas on the field. So um, I think I think you find a way to make that work. H. Yeah, I'd probably go four across the back, although I don't think five at the back is a bad choice against Adelaide. I just think we probably will have enough control that we will be, get away with four so that you can have Pennington in. Although I'm also, you know, I wouldn't say no to having Altay starting because I like the way that Altay and Payne play together. I think that releases Payne a lot. But, yeah, otherwise, I think all of the 11s that have been presented so far are good 11s. I think as well, it shows like we, we're used to having our bench options not be players who could be in the start 11. Like that's kind of a classic Phoenix thing. We've got 11 players and then the subs are a big step down. It says a lot that we're in a position at the moment where actually our sub players genuinely challenge for starting 11 spots. And that's that's the sort of depth that uh, some of those big clubs have had the entire time. And we just, for us now, we see it as this huge problem rather than just like <laughs> business as usual as some other clubs would view it. Like, oh, of course our midfielders on the bench would be just as good as our starting midfielders, you know? Yeah. We're uh, Phoenix fans. We've got to find something to be miserable about. <laughs> Otherwise it doesn't work. Who, who are we going to make into a right back this season? Yeah. <laughs> well, we did that with a left back and he seems to have gone okay. Oh, I, I've got a question from Bevan here, and I'm going to name name him on this one. Are the men's team really playing like A-League winning team, or are they just lucky? Uh, I'll let you just give this a uh, basically a, a one-phrase answer. At the moment, they're not the best, not playing the best in the league. I think Sydney and, and Central Coast are ahead of us, but... Sydney? Yeah. But that is because, yeah, we have had a disrupted, you know, um, 11. I think we're definitely, but it also doesn't mean we're lucky. I don't think we've been lucky at all. I don't think that's any, yeah, you get calls, you, you don't get calls. I think in general, they kind of even out. I'm not necessarily convinced we'll finish first. I think it it, it will depend on, on how quickly we can get everyone back. But I think there's definitely potential for us to win. To win. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, just at the moment, I think we've had a little dip, and that's because we've had a few injuries and we haven't had 
it'll be attacking weapons on on the pack. Dave. Uh, yep. No, I, I think I'll I'll hedge my answer slightly. I think we're playing some of the most consistent football we've ever seen Phoenix teams play, and I think we are playing as well or better than teams who've won the league before. H, you're gonna throw your two cents in. Yeah, I make two points. One, no one wins a league or comes close to doing so without a fair amount of luck. That's sport. But two, the Phoenix have not had a guilt-edged season where everything has fallen into place for them. They've had what most teams would call an injury crisis. I think that's putting it mildly. They've had their marquee signing out for basically the entire season. And they have found a way to bring a squad of basically academy players that every pundit in Australia said was going to come last into controlling their own destiny with, what, nine games to run, five, three points clear. Honestly, even if they, even if everything goes wrong from here on in, it's still going to be regarded as a good Phoenix season. If if Chiefy were coaching in like an English league or in the MLS, someone would be sitting here thinking, if he does this again next year or even this year's enough, like this is kind of book level stuff. Like this dude went to law school; he never played professionally. He has a team of academy players, and like average age of 21 on the bench if we're lucky and he what he's constructed is incredibly consistent and is it great to watch no but it's not horrible to watch everything's luck everything's skill that's sport my answer to you bevan is um are they lucky no one gets this lucky this often not this consistently forget it Uh, i'll go to a question from don m uh why do people expect Conchi to be at the level of Roofer and Pennington. I will add my own question on the end. Do we expect him to be that good? Or, yeah, again, I and um, is this a question of we expect him in time to be that good? Or I have only seen Conchi a little bit at the local level, and he was he was good. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, I think we. Well, maybe me have been slightly critical of him during the time that he's got and that's not because i expect him to be the same at the same level as the players who who normally start but and he hasn't hasn't played a lot of minutes but i don't know he just really hasn't captured like i don't know when you see other players play you, you notice what they do well like you know roof is really good at pivoting out of like keeping the ball under uh, under pressure pivoting out and playing out the way uh, you know, Pennington covers a lot of ground. Like, I just don't know what Conchie's thing is yet. Now, this to me has to be a rail rounder player, but I just can't work out what his his key attribute is. It's a, a very good point. I would say because the because uh, Don has name checked Roofer and Pennington, I also want to dip in and to say, well, Roofer, we didn't know what his thing was for quite some time. In fact, he didn't have a thing. He was asked to leave the club, said no, dug in and found his thing after quite a number of years. And I'm sure if you've listened to the pod before, you will have heard me not talking positively about um, Mr. Pennington, although I think he has he has definitely come right this season. Um, Dave, you've seen um, Finn Conchi a little bit, more than most probably. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard one because I 
I don't like the question, basically. So I don't know how to answer it because I think I think it's a hard one, right? Like I'm, I'm sure we've made comparisons. I'm sure other people have made comparisons. But that's what you're going to do when you're talking about football players and you're talking about performances in a football game, right? Is you're going to look at who else was on the field? Were they better, worse? Were they working well with each other? And you're going to look at, in the in the case of the situation where, where players are out injured, do we think the person who was out injured would have done a better job? And And how are you going to have a discussion about performances and players in a squad and who should be starting over who without simply making comparisons to the other ones. I don't know, you know, maybe some people will be making comparisons to German players and making up some nonsense about inverted holding players, but most people are going to compare to who's on the park and who else could be on the park. So I, I think it's natural we're going to talk about him in the context of where he fits compared to the other midfielders. Do I think he's better than those midfielders at the moment? No. Do I think he could be? Sure. Have we seen it yet? Not really. Nice. H, you got opinions? No, I mean, this question made me realise that I have very few opinions on Fincontri, which I suppose is a reflection of Dale's comment that I just don't really know what he is yet, and that's fine. Uh, let's go on to a question here, uh, another anonymous one. The fix it, the Knicks are 14 points clear of seventh place. Where in the top six will they finish? Give me a number, H. One. Well, I I only wanted to say, because it was happening in a a chat I have with some overseas fans, that um, with one point against Perth, we can no longer win the wooden spoon. They were all very excited that any results meant it was impossible for us to win the wooden spoon. And I was like, I don't even know if that's true, but I'm going to repeat it as if it is. Um, And and I like that. Like, we're at this point of the season where are we in a position where that sort of thing could even be a thing fans of another club are talking about, that we, we've we avoided the spoon already with this many games to go. I think that's great. What a depressing reflection of the Phoenix. <laughs> I was thinking the same. I don't think that's true. Western United are last 12 points, but they've got nine games to go, so that's 20, 27 don't points. Don't fact check the spoon point. That makes them 39, so that would be a... So it's not completely true. But I will say is 37 points would is basically in any other season get us in top six. So even if we lost from here, we'd still probably make top six. Yeah. I, I had a quick look and I, at, at definitely at my lunchtime today, about <laughs> different points at different positions and different seasons. And I left the bloody note at home, so uh, at work, so I'm really annoyed by that. But I think basically something like 50 points is almost guaranteed you first place. I think like maybe 46 is, is kind of second. So, um, and I know there's been like kind of lots of jaws and there's an extra game this season to kind of counter that a little bit. But I think it's, I mean, even six points off above third, it's quite a lot to ca- catch up in eight games. It's it's definitely going top. It feels like it's top two unless something absolutely capitulates from here. Just say it. I'm saying number one, man. Up the wires, up the next. Yeah, we have a question. Yeah, about- I refuse to say it. Yeah, we have a question about up the fars, but I'll be quite honest. It's just bollocks, marketing bollocks by someone that just wanted to get in the paper. You can quote me on that. I think it's an interesting discussion, but I think the the premise of that article is rubbish. But I think I think there is a genuine discussion. Why why have we not captured the kind of collective mind on a bandwagon in the same way? And, you guys don't want to hear me answer to this, I oh, feel. Well, I, I think it's an interesting one, right? We're, 
up the wires is not a thing we should try and repeat yeah. like why even try why just wholesale copies and nonsense that's dumb but i think there are some factors that don't that play into why it hasn't happened yet i think a bandwagon can still be well and truly built by the end of the season though you've got the students back in town now if we continue this run with some home games it can still happen but it needs to be organic to some extent and it shouldn't be built off the back of a dumb thing that the person who believes just the club should have been founded in Auckland and then everything would have been fine after founding clubs in Auckland twice went so well. Like, mate, check your, check your reckons. Anyone else want to chip in there? Because I've got nothing to add to that. Well said, Dave. I, I, I would add, I think News Hub were the first to kind of ask this, uh, I want to say maybe a month ago, and they asked, uh, one day they asked both, the coach and the players about it. And of course, they're like, oh, yeah, we need something like that because what else are you going to say as a player or a coach? It kind of feels like this Auckland-centric media outlet goes, how can I make Wellington Phoenix relevant to me? It's by, like, connecting a, an Auckland Auckland event, like, to this other club, you know, to this other sport. So, yeah. I, I don't, the Warriors like, were a New Zealand-wide event, which is the point. Oh, no. Just because Wellington okay, like and the rules of rugby league weren't on board does not mean that it was not national. Wellington is an enclave. It's a rugby league thing. It's not a. It's not a New Zealand thing. Well, I say Either this. Like league, or you don't. It it also completely ignores how many times the Warriors have built a bandwagon before. This this is just weird. This is our year, man. <laughs> this is our year. Maybe if you had some this is our year copium, the Phoenix would be better off band-wise. Uh, I want to roll through a couple more questions. What's your opinion on VAR? Should it be used in the Women's A-League? Of course, if you're going to do it in men's football, you've got to do it in women's. Anyone want to take a hot, spicy take at that and disagree with me? I mean, apart from the obvious, don't have it anywhere. No, agree. Good. Thoughts on this blue card? We have had discussions about this in the... Uh, Fever Towers, um, someone, go on, Dave. I think it was you that might have even pointed it out, or was it Keegs? Oh, I don't know if it was me. I have records, though. Why the hell do we need another card? Use your yellow cards for dissent like you meant to. You've been empowered to do this for a long bloody time, and you're not doing it as referees. That that doesn't mean let's give you another card to not use. That seems dumb to me. Give the yellows like you should be. and And we as fans need to suck that up. I think you'll see a lot of people angry about it, whatever. Oh, that's never a yellow card. No, nah, it is, and it always has been. Start, it, start enforcing it. A, a couple of things. I think the Sinbin just won't won't work. Defend, teams will just defend for 10 minutes, and it'll become a bit of a – just a clown show, I think. And like I say, like and like you say, you, then it'll, it'll also just cause another round of controversy about whether something was a blue card or not. It just does my head in these conversations post-game that we talk 90% about, you know, what a referee does or does not do in the heat of the moment versus, you know, what players do not do, do badly. I mean, there was a big director in the A-League about, oh, the third person that comes in to talk to the ref's going to get out of card. I mean, that lasted about two games and then they, like, ditched it. It's like someone just needs to say, right, this is what we're focusing on this season. Brief every club and then just start dishing them out and see how long that behaviour lasts because I bet it won't, won't last that long. Absolutely, and and you know we had the we had the crackdown on diving that season where that lasted about two games. Um, we've and 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 the thing is, there's still the yellow card thing where you get five yellow cards. And you can you please explain? 
I don't know that I've ever seen the outcome of a please explain be we're putting more sanctions on you. Hey, you're paying a fine because you you had five players for dissent in the same game. Like, do it. Be harsh within the system that's already there. And I, I think whilst there'll be a teething issue with it, people will eventually suck it up and the game will be better for it, both both at a professional level and, to be honest, at a community level. Because people, people at those club games who are in there screaming at referees and doing all the stuff we all hate learn that because they see it on TV, right? Yep. Um, I, I will give credit to Keegs on on this one because I think it was him that said uh, a blue card is a super, basically a supercharged yellow card and people don't give out the yellow card so why would they give out the one that that um, has more jeopardy involved? Time for a couple of quick questions. We've kind of already looked at uh, team formations and that sort of thing and given our slight opinions but we do have another couple of questions uh, on the experience uh, do you have a favourite chant? I'm a classicist. I do like a good um, uh, in Wellington. It never rains. Of all time, it would be the Roller Bonavazia chant to 500 miles. I think that's absolutely genius and it can be picked up fairly quickly. At present, I don't know. I don't know. If, at present, I have to think about that some more. Historically, there's been some absolute beauties. I did. I was taken by the um, Libby Kikachi one that has. Um, Stole my chant. That was a good chant. Yeah, I'm not even going to try and name an all-time one. It's not worth it. There's too many great ones that had their time where they were the best, and and trying to pick between them would be rough. But I think I think at the moment, I would say the the one that's to the tune of the entertainers, probably the one I like the most at the moment. It can carry for a long time and and can genuinely build a bit of atmosphere. Um, and I think that's good. Like sometimes sometimes charts are good for a little bit of banter and and they're enjoyable on that level. But I think that entertainer one genuinely can build up crowd excitement, not just in the zone, but across across the entire stadium. And you you certainly hear it on the pitch. I would like to offer an outsider's perspective. When I took my completely not football person friend to the women's game, her favourite chant was the seagull chant. <laughs> uh, the classic. I was like, yeah, you know what? It, it is great. Which chants are you going to emulate when you go to the nights? <laughs> <laughs> the look on your face is worth it. <laughs> you, you, there's got to be one to Knights in Black Satin or something. It's it's just it's there for the hitting out of the park. The boomers will love it, H. They'll love it. What's one? Oh yeah, here we go, uh, Dave. This is probably one for you to be quite honest, mate. Um, uh, as I know you have, uh, have you uh, any of you ever been to an away Phoenix game? If so, what was the experience like? Furthest afield I've been is Auckland. It's different. It's different every time, right? <laughs> so some of those experiences have been good, um, some not so good. But I'll say, I'll say the one thing I do like about going to away games as a Fever um, person is Phoenix fans and the Yellow Fever are welcome at any club. I think we're we're one of those universal like second team almost for everyone. We saw that during the Save the Next stuff. You know, I, I don't think there's any club I've been to where I haven't been been welcomed essentially whereas I know some of those fan groups you you can't have a beer before or after the game you can't you can't be friendly with the other groups whatever I've I've been to away games for Phoenix games I've also been 
to games with the RBB, for example, where the Phoenix weren't playing, um, just because they had the same weekend in the same town, and you know a few people, you fire a few messages, and suddenly you're in the middle of the red and black block. So the fact that as a as a yellow fever person or a Phoenix fan, you can do that is pretty amazing, and I think that's that's great. But worst worst experience would be Newcastle, where we lost five goals. Uh, but even that off the field was a great night out with with the the newy lads. So yeah, can't fault an away game. Sometimes I go to Wellington. <laughs> Sometimes you come to Wellington. That that's like another country, isn't it? It's bloody cold. Well, um, it's not it's not muggy Auckland. Um, I think we should wrap it up there. I think we have just ticked over the hour mark and um, as usual, Dale would like to get some sleep tonight. Um, Thank you all for uh, chatting with me and uh, informing our audience. Uh, Just remember those two games on Sunday, 4pm, the uh, women are playing victory at home of Matildas in Melbourne, if you happen to be over there. Uh, and the men are playing at 5pm at Sky Stadium. Dale? Yes, I was just going to say, uh, and that game is our annual collab, I think is what the youth say these days, with um, Liverpool supporters group of Wellington with for City Mission. Um, so we'll have collectors out possibly at the pub. I don't, I'm not quite sure, but definitely at the gate uh, collecting food for City Mission. Um, if you check our social media, there's a, um, a list of 11 most wanted items. They're pretty standard what you'd expect. So if you haven't done your food shop this week, maybe chuck in a couple of extra items and bring them along. Um, that would be um, choice. Nice. Um, is this a fever featuring Liverpool or a fever x liverpool kind of tag on that i think it's x x nice it's x that's what the youth would say this is what the youth is it still spelt double o f or am i am i too old for that yeah no chiming in is yes. how, do you, how do you pronounce the x times but you don't really ever say you don't say it out loud like if you were to say it out loud you'd say feet like featuring like an album <laughs> I'm glad we've got a translator. It's awesome. I'm learning. Cool. Um, we'll we'll chop it up there. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Uh, hopefully, we're back with another six points in the bank. Uh, that'd be nice. Um, but whatever it is, we'll be back discussing it next week. Bye. <laughs>